0: are on the line You are on the line with Noah Gardner on ESPN 1067 and
1: Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Tuesday everybody. Programming note, today's show is pre-recorded, so phone lines are closed for today's edition of On the Line. But following us normally, as they always do, from 4 to 6 p.m., it'll be The Drive with Bill Cameron, and they'll be taking your call. So phone lines will be back open. Stay tuned for that. But we've got a packed show for you guys today. Pre-recorded, because I'm on the way to Edgewood Academy in Elmore, Alabama, as the Lee Scott Warriors are taking on the Edgewood Academy Wildcats. You can listen to that game if you've got a hankering for high school basketball. You can listen to that tonight at 5.50 p.m. approximately, depending on when the JV games wrap up, but you can listen to that on AU100, that's 100.3 FM, one of our sister stations here at Auburn Networks as well as you can listen to it online on AU100FM.com or watch the broadcast on the Lee Scott Sports Network Facebook page. I'll be on the call tonight alongside Gavin Rankins. There's some good high school basketball tonight, so stay tuned for that coming up later on tonight on AU100. But pack show for you guys today, we'll have Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com on the show with us. We'll be talking to him about New Year's resolutions for Auburn football, as well as Auburn football recruiting, and Auburn basketball's big game tonight at South Carolina at 5.30 p.m. on SEC Network. We're going to give you a scouting report on the South Carolina Gamecocks outside of that conversation with Christian Clemente coming up at 2.30 p.m., as well as we've got a lot of other stuff going on the show today. Is there a culture issue with Auburn football? It is my contingency that there is not, that the sky is not falling as much as many people thought it was after the Birmingham Bowl loss. We're going to talk about that as well as a number of other things, and we're going to start out today's show with a topic that is close to my heart and is something that has been irritating me greatly throughout bowl season. Of course, bowl season rolls around, and the opinion that we have too many bowl games makes its annual appearance. Every year since, I feel like, 2015, 2016, 2017 with the emergence of opt-outs, since around that time, you've been hearing the opinion that bowl season just doesn't carry the same weight that it used to. And I think there's a reason for that. I think opt-outs play a big part in that, which started once again around 2015, 2016, 2017. It just so happens that that coincides with about the same timeline as the early days of the college football playoff, which began in 2014. I think those two things together have created an environment or an illusion in some people's minds out there that these bowl games just don't matter. Well, this is not meatballs from the 1970s or 1980s when that movie was made, whenever it was, where Bill Murray gets up in front of all the campers and said, it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. It's not that same type of vibe from these folks that are saying that bowl games don't matter. It's kind of a popist attitude, really. So folks get out there on social media, say these bowl games don't matter. They take this. Route where they think you're better than you, or at least it almost sounds like that, that their opinion's almost better than you, and that we should apparently have less football. What's everybody's beef with more football? So we have 44 bowl games. That's fun. Rediscover some joy in your holiday season. What's the problem with having football on television during the holidays? And granted, some folks out there are going to say, well, these bowl games mean less because there are more of them. That wasn't a problem before the college football playoff rolled around, and there were tons of them before the college football playoff rolled around. We didn't just all of a sudden start, and sure, we have added a few bowl games, but we didn't just add like 20 bowl games when the college football playoff started. So what changed in people's hearts that all of a sudden these bowl games just don't matter? Of course, I've heard some people say, why are we dumping mayonnaise, french fries, cornflakes on coaches? This is stupid. I've heard people saying players are opting out of games. Obviously, they don't care about bowl games. They can make a blanket statement over a very small percentage of players that are making those decisions. And then on top of that, who cares about some 6-6 and team playing another 6-6 and team? Well, let me tell you, they're looking at it the entire wrong way if that's the approach that they are taking to bowl season. I asked this question in response. Why does it bother you so much? Why does it bother you so much? that you get angry about it or feel like you need to put down these games or teams for playing in bowl season. Why does it bother you so much that you feel like your opinion is better than someone else's opinion or someone else's enjoyment of these bowl games? What is your issue? If South Carolina head coach Shane Beamer wants to get doused in mayonnaise, albeit as gross as that is and nasty as that was to watch, it was hilarious. That's his choice. If he wants to do that, he can. He worked a heck of a lot harder for that moment than it took for someone to send a pompous tweet or say something ugly about the bowl game. He did. He worked a lot harder for that moment to get doused in mayonnaise, as ridiculous as that may sound. He worked very, very hard to get doused in mayonnaise to win that game with this football team, to have that memory, to give those guys that moment. It's not about the mayonnaise. It's about everything that worked up to the moment that they were able to win that bowl game, which obviously meant something to 6-6 six six South Carolina that fought extremely hard to get to play North Carolina in a border war. You don't get those types of matchups often in the non-conference schedule, especially in the SEC. Of course, you get some good early season games. Auburn played Penn State this year. Georgia played Clemson. You get some of those. But not everybody plays those games. Other conferences where they're playing non-game Conference schedules, the Big Ten, Pac-12, they don't want to play in these games because it could be a guaranteed loss that takes them out of the college football playoff. Bowl season is when we get to see these matchups, and it's a fun time. So why are folks trying to take the joy out of bowl games? According to them, they mean less because there are more games. Maybe to you, but to these teams playing, the games mean a lot. And it may be their only opportunity to play in them at least speaking to the players, it may be their only opportunity to get to play in one across their four years. Look at UTEP. That's a team that hadn't been to a bowl game in a couple of years. Look at New Mexico State a couple of years ago. That was their first bowl game that they ever made. And there's a lot of people out there, especially in SEC country, that'll say, I don't care about New Mexico State. Fine. But New Mexico State cared about being there. So don't tell me that that bowl game wasn't important. So what? You don't have to watch it. If New Mexico State is playing on TV, you don't have to watch it. If there is something else that you would rather watch on television, go and watch it. But it should not prevent New Mexico State from playing in that bowl game or South Carolina or whoever else, and it doesn't take away from them playing in that game. New Mexico State doesn't have a prayer for playing for the national championship. So why does it matter? Why does it matter? South Carolina didn't either. So why does it matter? Just let them play. And it's more football for all of us at the end of the season where we are all trying to hang on or should be trying to hang on to the final droplets, the final sweet bit of nectar that we can suck out of football season. And then guess what? In a month, when the college football playoff national championship has concluded, we're all going to be wishing for football in late February. We're going to be missing it. As soon as the Super Bowl's over with, we're all going to be like, man, I miss college football. March rolls around. We're going to have this insatiable hunger for football. It's just the truth. And as soon as college basketball's over with, especially in this area when Auburn basketball's done, we're going to be like, when's football season? Even if it brings pain for some of us. So why do folks have beef with more football? That's the question I keep coming back to. What is wrong with more football? Seriously. This is like saying that you hate cake. This is like saying we have too much cake in the world. I can't help but think like I sound like Kevin from, from the office when I say this, but that's like saying we have too much cake in the United States. Some people do have too much cake, but the reality is if cake's at the table, nobody's forcing you to eat it. If there's more football on television, nobody's forcing you to watch it. You can do whatever you want. It's America. It's America. You don't have to eat the cake. But it goes to a whole nother step and you automatically become public enemy number one at the party. If you're one of those people, you're at a birthday party and all of a sudden you show up and you're this Scrooge and you're like, "Mm, we have too much cake in the United States. And then you take the birthday cake off the table and you say, y'all can't have cake because you think that you know something better than other people. That's what this sounds like to me. And granted, some folks may disagree, and I'm sure they do, but that's what this sounds like to me. It is the equivalent in my mind of bowl season when somebody says that they want to eliminate bowl games. It is the equivalent in my mind of somebody showing up to a birthday party, saying to everybody that you guys all have too much cake, picking the cake up and throwing it away. That's what that's like to me. Except the difference here is somebody's doing it behind a keyboard rather than doing it in person are you going to say that to these coaches to their faces are you going to have these conversations to their faces are you that big and bad if they were sitting in front of you probably not probably not now lastly and I brought up a couple points of things that people say about bowl season for why they think that it doesn't matter or why they have issues with it lastly I'll tackle the opt-out problem there is an opt-out problem in college football, and I talked about this on yesterday's show. If you missed the show, go and Find the Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. I hate it as much as the next guy. Matt Corral playing was awesome, and I hate to see him get hurt. I commend players, and I praise players that want to play. I don't dog or trash or put down any player who makes the decision to not play in these bowl games. I don't. But likewise, although I understand their decision, which in some respects is a smart business decision, I get it. Why go and play in a game when you're about to go to the league and it may not be for the national championship? Why play? There are reasons to play, but there are also reasons to protect your future commercial interest, your future financial interest. I get it. I don't disagree. I understand. But likewise, I think it is highly irresponsible to take it a step further to say just because a small percentage of players, which we all know this, a very small percentage of players in college football go on to play and get drafted in the NFL. And then an even fewer percentage of those players that get drafted actually stay on a team for a couple of years. So why are we going to make a blanket statement over the choice of a couple of players that because those players thought – maybe these games aren't that important or at least more important than my financial interest. How can we make a blanket statement that all of the other guys on their team feel the same way? They just weren't as talented that they just didn't have the same opportunities. I I don't think that you can make that statement. I don't think you can step out that far. That is not information that you know. And in fact, if you go out and look at the games, and I'll talk about the New Year Six in a second. I want to look at all the bowl games outside of the New Year Six first, because I think the New Year Six has an interesting problem and a unique problem that we can potentially try and fix. If you step outside of the New Year's Six and look at all the bowl games outside of that, I'm talking about the Music City Bowl, the Dukes Mayo Bowl, the Gasparilla Bowl. Oh, look at all the bowl games where Group of 5 teams are playing. Yeah, SEC. Fans probably don't really care about Middle Tennessee State playing Toledo. But once again, I do go back to those players want to play in those games. It is a reward for those teams, for their players, for their coaches, for those fan bases. It's a reward. You look at the Power 5 teams playing, and I still think you can find a ton of teams that are pumped to be playing in those games, even if they had a 7-5 season. There are very few teams I think 98% of teams that make it to a bowl game want to play and want to win their bowl game. Even Florida, that had the wheels fall off this year, lost their head coach, fired position coaches, going through an incredible time of stress, hardship, and transition. They even, I think, played hard against UCF. Emory Jones is transferring and opted to come back and play in the bowl game for Florida. You tell me that that team didn't respect the opportunity to play in it. LSU, another team, they fought incredibly hard just to get to a bowl game. They want to play in this. They do. Auburn did. They answered that question with how hard they played with all the issues levied against them and a five-game losing streak. If Auburn sent to Birmingham, Alabama... Wanted to play in the Birmingham Bowl. I think you can give me that about 98% of teams that play in bowl games, they want to be there. Maybe even more than that. And you're not seeing a ton of opt-outs in those games. You're not seeing a ton of opt-outs in those games. You're seeing maybe one or two key players opt out in those football games. Look at Auburn. They lost to Kobe McClain, and they lost Roger McCree. Outside of that, nobody else had the NFL caliber type of prospects to be able to warrant them sitting out. They actually probably needed the bowl game to help their NFL draft prospects. Smoke Monday. You look to other teams across college football in bowl season. Those guys, too. You remember back to Paxton Lynch at Memphis? That guy didn't opt out. It hurt him that he didn't opt out because Auburn dropped his draft stock to 30th in the first round, whereas he was going to be much higher than that. But he played. So the reality is these guys... Some of them do need it. Some of them don't, and they choose to opt out. But the reality of it is only a couple of guys choose to opt out in some of these games. And it does not change the luster or the competitive nature of those football games. Just look at the Tennessee-Purdue game and the Music City Bowl, one of the best matchups of all season. Those teams are missing some guys. They both went seven, eight wins. It ended up being a great game. You could have eliminated that if you said, "Ah, it didn't matter. I very much so enjoyed watching that football game, even if it didn't have national championship implications. In reality, after about week five, 95% of college football has no national championship implications. Maybe even higher than that. So just cancel the rest of the season. Let's just do this battle royale style, and as soon as you lose, you're eliminated. Makes no sense. No sense. And so about the unique New Year's bowl game situation where you actually see a higher volume of players opt out. Ohio State had two key guys opt out. Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson. Kenneth Walker at Michigan State opted out. Kenny Pickett at Pittsburgh opted out. Those types of guys are bona fide NFL stars one day. At least some of them are. If you want to change that problem, expand the playoff to 12 teams and make the New Year's Six Bowl game schedule a part of the college football playoff. Now all of a sudden they have a reason to play. The reason why those guys aren't playing is because, well, I'm not competing for a national championship and I'm going to the NFL. It just makes more sense for me to protect myself. But if you're playing for a national championship and you're saying to those guys that you have a chance to extend your season by playing, they're going to play. So expand the playoff to 12 teams. It's going to create more meaningful football down the line. Look at the NFL playoffs. Week 17 of the NFL season, I'm a Cleveland Browns fan. My team is 7-8. and eight. I'm paying attention to the Cincinnati Bengals, the Baltimore Ravens, and the Los Angeles Chargers to see if my team still has a shot to make the playoffs. And that's the case for a lot of teams, more than half of the teams in the NFL headed to the last two weeks of the season. They still care because their team still theoretically has a chance to compete for a Super Bowl. In college football right now, that is not the case. By week seven or week eight, I said earlier week five, 95% of college football has no shot at the national championship. If you expand the playoff to 12 teams, that changes and you get these guys playing. Now, these are just suggestions. You don't have to take them. This is just my belief on it. And what I believe isn't necessarily better than what anybody else believes or what their fix is. I'm not saying this is the perfect fix, but these are just some of the thoughts that I have on the matter. Expand the playoff. You fix the New Year's Six games, at least the opt-outs in the New Year's Six bowl games, and then leave the rest of the bowl schedule alone. I like cake. But if I don't want to eat the cake, I don't eat it. Sometimes icing's a little bit too sweet for me. I eat cake sometimes. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I get ice cream cake. The equivalent to this situation would be me watching a different sport. At times this bowl season, I didn't watch a bowl game. I watched college basketball. Doesn't mean that I wanted to get rid of them. It's still great to have them there. We'll be back with more of On the Line on the other side of this break. Stay tuned. You're listening on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 1067 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Now that I got my beef out of the way with people saying that we should get rid of bowl games, now it's on to talking about Auburn at South Carolina at 5 30 p.m. on SEC Network. But before we get to that, a couple of notes here. Reminding everybody today's show is pre recorded as I'm on my way to Edgewood Academy for Lee Scott Basketball's upcoming game tonight. Both varsity games can be heard on AU100. That's 100.3 FM. That'll be coming up at 5.50 p.m. Also, we've got Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com coming up at around 2.30 p.m., a little bit after that. And we'll be talking with him about New Year's resolutions for Auburn football, recruiting on the offensive front for the Tigers. How are they restocking or adding to the offensive cupboard for the team going into next year's football season, as well as Auburn basketball, which there are some tantalizing notes about Auburn basketball recruiting for some high-value targets for that basketball team coming up in this year's class and the next, a potential number one overall recruit. Auburn's battling for those guys, as well as we'll talk about Auburn's game at South Carolina, and that's the direction we are going with in this segment. What is the scouting report on the South Carolina Gamecocks, as well as we'll continue to preview this throughout the show today. This is not one of the better basketball teams in the conference. I would slot this team if we were doing this week's SEC basketball power rankings, which I'm going to wait to do for next week after we've got a full two, three games of SEC play under our belt to better siphon through these teams, have more results to look at amongst conference opponents and common opponents, that is. This is a team that currently, in my view, is a bottom-four team in the SEC, bottom-five team in the SEC. And it's not that they've done anything wrong. It's just this team may have already peaked, that being South Carolina. Definitely not talking about Auburn here. South Carolina may have already peaked this season. They're 9-3. They've got some decent non-conference wins as they go into conference play. They beat Florida State. That's a pretty good win. Beat Georgetown. That name sounds good. Still not that great of a basketball team. Still rebuilding for what seems like the last decade. Not the same team that they used to be for the larger half of their time in college basketball. But they have some okay wins. They really didn't do anything wrong in non-conference play. Even the teams that they lost to, aside from a blowout loss to Coastal Carolina, they really don't have any bad losses. They haven't done anything wrong, but they haven't done anything impressive either. And some folks may say in response, well, how do you know anything about this team? This is a team that if you watch them play, what you see is what you get. And recently losing to Coastal Carolina, suffering a 14-point loss to Clemson. And Clemson would be a middle-of-the-pack to bottom-half team in the SEC this year. A 14-point loss to Clemson a couple weeks ago before Christmas tells me that this team is not going to be able to clear the the middle-of-the-pack in the SEC at its best. So what is this team at its average and at its worst? And it would be a bottom four or just out of that bottom four tier day one SEC tournament type of team. And the struggles come on the offensive side of the basketball. This is a defensive team that over the years has provided issues for Auburn basketball teams on a consistent basis. When the media spoke with Bruce Pearl yesterday, For his media availability, Bruce Pearl reminded everybody, you know, Columbia is not a fun place to play for us. Last year, it was Auburn blew them out, played very well on the road in South Carolina last year, but typically they don't. Typically, this is a place where even those tournament teams, even that final four team struggled at. You've even seen this team barely win or lose against South Carolina on the road. I remember back to that game several years ago when Anthony McLemore broke his leg. Auburn lost that game. There's been some nasty games in Columbia, South Carolina. And a big part of that is because Frank Martin coach teams are gritty. They're tough. They play sound defense. They may not be as talented as four-fifths of this league, but they are going to play you tough every single game, and you're going to leave with some bumps and some bruises. You have to find some want to and some will to win when you play in Columbia, South Carolina. Now, this Auburn team is different, and as you'll hear Christian Clemente say later on in the show, you have to throw some things, some prior history out the window for Auburn because this team's just different. We haven't seen this amount of talent on the same basketball floor at Auburn since the 80s or maybe ever, or one of those teams that was ranked number one back in the 90s. I just don't think that we've seen this level. You've got two guys that I think are getting drafted in the first round after this year, and then you've got somebody else that, and Alan Flanagan, that is, if he can experience a quick return to his level of play last year, and if not add to that a little bit, I think he could be a potential first-round pick. That was where he was slotted at last year for this year's draft, looking ahead from last season to this year. An Achilles injury in the preseason obviously changed that a little bit for Alan Flanagan, but that's how talented this team is, and there are some other guys that could maybe one day be drafted as well down the line. This is an extremely talented Auburn team, so do I expect them to struggle in Columbia tonight? I don't, but I can see some things on paper that if Auburn does not continue to improve, could put some things on film for better teams in the future to exploit. Teams like Tennessee, that play very good defense, even at a higher level than South Carolina, even Ole Miss, Mississippi State, some of the better defensive teams in the league, which South Carolina is in that category, but they don't have the offense coupled with it. Teams like Mississippi State and Tennessee that have the offense coupled with it that are also great defensive teams, those teams could beat Auburn at their places if Auburn does not improve in some categories. So I'm going to break down the scouting report here on South Carolina. First things first, this is why I think this team has peaked already. I don't think their offense is going to get much better than this. And unless it does, this team is not going to do a whole lot this year. They're going to hold you maybe into the high 60s, low 70s in conference play, but they may not score at that tally either, especially when you're looking at the level of defense that Auburn is playing right now. South Carolina is not an efficient offensive team. At first glance, you look at South Carolina and you see that they're averaging 75.3 points per game in non-conference play. That is not going to transition to conference play, and here's why. They're ranked 25th in the nation, and field goal attempts per game. That's not made, that's attempts. They shoot a lot of shots. They need 64 shots per game to get to that mark. They are ranked in appalling, and I mean appalling, 216th in the nation in two-point percentage, 245th in three-point percentage. They are 289th in free-throw percentage. They can't shoot. They can't shoot the basketball, Paul. Shooting a high volume against this Auburn defense will not help you. If anything, it will bury you. You do not want to get into street ball with Auburn basketball. You do not want to get into a game where you are trying to outrun Auburn's guys because you can't do it. Nobody runs the floor as well as Auburn does in the SEC. Nobody else in the conference does it as well as Auburn. Heck, some folks may not run as Well, as Auburn does in the nation, Auburn may be one of the best teams running the floor in the entire country. South Carolina is not going to be able to outrun this Auburn basketball team. Now, on the flip side, saying some good things about South Carolina, they're an efficient defensive team that can give Auburn problems if they don't play the right way. If Auburn does not play the game the right way, meaning passing the ball, getting good shots, shot selection has to be on point if they're turning the basketball over. As Bruce Pearl pointed out, they won't let you run your offense if you're turning the ball over or you have lulls in your game on the offensive end of the floor. This is going to be a test for Auburn's offense and them playing the game the right way. Auburn can play the game the wrong way in Columbia tonight, and they can still win. It won't be by a lot, but they can still win. It won't be pretty, but they can still win. Or they can play the game the right way, and they can destroy them, and they can make a statement, and they can show that they're improving. And as Will Wade said, as Will Wade said back when he was talking about playing in Auburn Arena, that folks will be hanging from the rafters. Let me tell you, folks will be hanging from the rafters at Coleman Coliseum. They'll be hanging from the rafters. In Thompson Bowling Arena, they'll be hanging from the rafters and any of the other incredibly hostile environments that Auburn's going to have to go and play in in the SEC this year. In Fayetteville, they will be. That is one of the toughest places to play in the country. If you don't play the game the right way, teams will take advantage of that. And that has been one of my criticisms of this team at this point. They're playing a really good brand of basketball right now. But there are some things that they can clean up, and I think shot selection is one of those things. This team is just shooting 44% from the floor. Believe it or not, that's what South Carolina's doing right now. From an efficiency standpoint, Auburn is doing a pretty good job, but they can do better. South Carolina defends the rim really well, holding opponents to 41% shooting from inside the arc. That mark is 6th in the nation. They're also 17th in blocks per game. So they defend the rim really well. Auburn is going to be challenged there, and that's an area where Auburn has done a very good job of scoring especially with Walker Kessler's emergence as of late, being a dominant post player. They defend the rim really well. So how does Auburn react to South Carolina defending the paint? Are they just going to start shacking up threes like we've seen over the years with previous Bruce Pearl coach teams? That because they get frustrated, they just try and shoot through it? That's not going to work. That's going to produce an ugly performance. You have to work to get good shots. You still need the paint touches. South Carolina also creates turnovers at a high rate. They force 16.1 turnovers per game. Auburn turned the ball over 21 times against LSU. Now, this is a different situation. LSU's defense is a lot better than South Carolina's. LSU's a lot more talented than South Carolina. Auburn should not turn the ball over that many times. I will be looking for Auburn to turn the ball over less than the amount that South Carolina typically turns over their opponents. South Carolina is still good away from the rim at defending the three-point line. They hold opponents to 32% from three-point land. It's hard to find a weakness with this South Carolina team, and they're actually almost as tall as this Auburn team, whose average height is six foot five. South Carolina's is six foot four. They defend the rim really well. This is a team that I think can bang with Auburn down low. The only area that they struggle with on defense is fouling. Opponents shoot about 22 free throws a game. Will that manifest itself in this game? Keep going after it in the lane. Because if Auburn turns around and gets frustrated and fires up a ton of threes, this isn't going to go well. It's not. It's not going to go well if Auburn does that. Auburn needs to get to the charity strike, add those dead ball points, don't get frustrated, play the game the right way, they're going to win. And they might destroy them if they do that. One area where I think Auburn could absolutely destroy South Carolina in this game, I think two ways this can be manifested, turnovers and second chance points. South Carolina turns the ball over about 15 times per game. Auburn is one of the best teams in the country at forcing turnovers, getting opponents to cough up the basketball 16.6 times per game. South Carolina gives up over 12 rebounds per game, offensive rebounds per game that is, which puts them at 344th in the country. Auburn gets 11.8 offensive rebounds per game, which ranks 61st in the NCAA. So you look at those two categories, the amount of times that South Carolina turns the basketball over and the amount of offensive rebounds they give up, those are energy statistics for the other team. And Auburn is one of the most energetic teams in college basketball. I think they can exploit those two areas. That is going to hinder South Carolina from an efficiency standpoint in the offensive end of the floor because they're going to lose possessions with turnovers. And then Auburn's going to get extra possessions with their offensive rebounds. It's going to create a lot of extra possessions for Auburn. That's going to lend a hand to a blowout, I think, tonight. In Columbia. We've got a conversation with Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com coming up on the other side of this break. Stay tuned. A lot of great nuggets about Auburn football and basketball recruiting. You don't want to miss it. Back on On the Line, about 30 minutes into the Tuesday edition of the show. Programming note for folks out there. Today's show is pre-recorded, so phone lines are closed, but we do still have a special guest on the program today. As promised, Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com joining us for the Tuesday edition of On the Line. Christian, how's it going today, my man?
2: It's going good. It's going good. How about you, Noah? It's
1: going really well. Of course, you and I had been talking a little bit yesterday and then some big news dropped that big news namely being kobe hudson he said on his instagram that he was kicked off the team what do we know about this situation revolving around auburn's number one wide receiver
2: yes so we're still trying to figure some information out here um he is expected to enter the transfer portal today um you know last night he announced that he would be leaving and then he said he was kicked off the team he then deleted that Instagram story, but I think that was more so an indication of he didn't want that to be up anymore and he just didn't really want that message out there. Maybe uh, from when I've been able to gather this staff uh, asked something of him and he declined to do it. And whether that resulted in him being kicked off the team or him not being welcomed back, I'm not entirely sure there, but either way, he's not going to be back next year, which I think it's a pretty big loss. Um, He he was wide receiver one this year because of the issues, um, just at the wide receiver position as a whole. I don't think he's a true wide receiver one. Um, Maybe he could develop into that guy, but I still think Auburn was going to go out into the portal and get a wide receiver one, and Kobe was kind of your wide receiver two next year. So it's definitely a big loss. Um, He was the most productive receiver this season. He improved a ton. I mean, he didn't really even play his freshman year. And then this year he puts up, I think, 44 receptions, uh, quite a bit of yards. um, Led the team in touchdowns, I do believe as well. And he was the only player to score a touchdown um, in the Houston game. So, you know, they've had. It's it's just a big loss. I don't know how else to spin it. Um, It's definitely, especially after losing Bo, um, you were able to keep Tank, but now you lose your wide receiver one.
1: What's the potential fallout here for the wide receiver room? Because this has been a year where Brian Hartson has not messed around. He has set the standard and he's enforced it. You saw Cornelius Williams let go. You saw Mike Bobo let go. To a degree, it seemed like Bo Nix was shown the door. Other players have opted to leave or not return. So my question here is, at what point does this type of approach... Create fallout inside the locker room, or is that not a concern at this point?
2: Uh, I don't really think it's a huge concern, at least for me. Um, I mean, I think he's just—he set the tone and he set the culture, and he's building it that way. A lot of these guys are former Gus uh, players, I should say. The coaches aren't um, held over from Gus, but the players are, and so he's setting the culture the way that he wants it, um, and it's kind of. I mean, it's hard-nosed and it's tough, and I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that, but some players might not like that, and that could be um, the reason they're leaving. And, you know, I just we, – we talked about this a little bit last week. I just think it takes a little bit of time. Um, building a culture, building a program the way that he wants it takes time, and we're seeing that now with players entering the transfer portal and whatnot.
1: It definitely seems like a different time than four years ago because four years ago – If you were in this situation as a coach and you were laying out the foundation and the culture for your program, players had the option to stay or sit out a year elsewhere if you opted to transfer. Now, if you haven't transferred yet, you can go and look for an opportunity elsewhere. Players have more of a say now than they ever have in their own career and in their own choices in terms of playing college football what type of elements is at play here, not just with Kobe Hudson, but with other players on the roster, could we potentially see more transfers?
2: Yeah, I certainly think we could see more transfers. Um, and I think we will, to be honest. I mean, we saw Dre Butler that, uh, the Juco defensive lineman transfer out yesterday as well, obviously not nearly as big of a name as Kobe Hudson, but, um, I think you could potentially lose maybe one more defensive lineman just because that room is just so stacked. Um, I think you could just see a couple other names depart um, throughout the next couple weeks or so. And then also I think you'll see guys leave it after spring practice once that depth chart starts to shake out. Um, And I think that's just going to be something that happens all across the country with every school um, because, like you said, it's so much easier to transfer now. Um, And then also I think you're just seeing it a little more at Auburn because it is a new staff. um, And all of these guys, for the most part, are just still Gus Malzahn guys um, and Brian Harson and his staff didn't recruit them. So I certainly think you'll still see a couple more guys into the transfer portal. But as of right now, I'm not expecting any more big names similar to Kobe Hudson to enter the portal.
1: Likewise, it's just as easy now for coaches to replenish their rosters. Four years ago, if Auburn was in this situation right now going into the next year, which they kind of were about six years ago when you saw the 2015 season, what you had, that was that was what you were going to have the next year. You couldn't do a whole lot to change things. Now there is this, for lack of a better term, a free agency now in college football in the offseason, of course, without the pay, wink, wink. And so Auburn can replenish this roster just as easily as they lost some of their guys Who are some of the key targets out there that Auburn's looking at in the transfer portal right now?
2: Yes, right now, um, there's a couple guys along the offensive linemen, um, the Cornell transfer, the Western Kentucky transfer. Those are two offensive line targets that I would keep a close eye on, and I expect both of them to be here visiting this weekend. Um, Along with that, and and also visiting this weekend, is DJ James, the Oregon cornerback. Um, I think Auburn is the leader there. I don't know if Auburn leads for the other two offensive linemen, but... They're certainly in the mix. Um, At the quarterback position, I know that's a huge one. Um, Zach Calzada is the name that I'm monitoring the most. He's the Texas A&M transfer, and he's expected to be here this weekend. Uh, Auburn has their foot in the door with Caleb Williams, the five-star transfer from Oklahoma, but everyone is obviously competing to try and land him because of how talented he is. So that will be interesting there. Uh, The one thing I would keep an eye on with Caleb Williams is, um, Austin Davis and how he's able to impact that because Caleb Williams is a future NFL guy, um, and so is Auburn able to spill or to uh, to sell Caleb Williams on Austin Davis and what he can do and develop him. And from what I've heard as well, Caleb Williams and his family does have a relationship with Russell Wilson, um, and obviously Austin Davis has now coached Russell Wilson for a couple years now. So I-, I think Auburn has a fighter's chance there. I certainly would not call him a leader, but. They're in the mix there as well. Um, And then with Kobe Hudson gone, I expected Auburn to get one, maybe two wide receivers. Now I certainly expect Auburn to go out and get two wide receivers to the portal.
1: And, of course, there hasn't been a lot of talk about potential wide receivers. It's been more about offensive linemen and quarterbacks. I want to talk about one quarterback in particular that you just mentioned, not Caleb Williams, but Zach Calzada. I know you're monitoring that situation rather closely. What does this coaching staff see in Zach Calzada? Not saying that he's a bad player. I thought, and he was in my top five list of quarterbacks at the time, and that was a month ago in that transfer portal. There's more guys that have entered now, and that would definitely have pushed Zach Calzada off the list. He was just fifth on a list of five, but I did think that it wouldn't be a horrible option to go after Zach Calzada. What does this coaching staff see in Zach Calzada that maybe the public doesn't?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think they just see a guy that can go out and win in the SEC. Um, and he did it at Texas a this year. He fought. He won them that Alabama game. Um, he's proved that he can do it, and I think that they see some untapped potential, and they think that they can improve his game a little bit. Um, I know some fans, some Auburn fans, are going to be a little concerned if Zach Calzada is the name that ends up coming to the transfer portal. One thing I would say is, I don't know if he would be the only quarterback name that comes to the transfer portal. I think if they got Calzada, they would try and go out and get another guy as well. Um, So we'll just kind of have to wait and see there. But I do think Calzada is the name that you should probably keep an eye on the closest.
1: Absolutely bizarre to me, not saying that you're wrong, but absolutely bizarre to me that there would be five or six guys on a depth chart that would all be wanting to play next year at the quarterback position. What does this mean for TJ Finley, Demetrius Davis?
2: Yeah, so I think um, despite maybe some Auburn fans giving up on him, I don't think Auburn, these coaches have given up on TJ Finley at all. Um, they still believe in him and they think, still think that he could be that guy, but they also understand that they need to go out and get more guys in the room to compete with him and to compete for the starting job. So, uh, I mean, we have two seasons worth of tape on TJ Finley now at two different schools. And personally, I'm. I don't think he's going to be the guy. Um, And I think whoever they bring in through the portal will be that guy. But TJ will still have a chance to compete for the job. As for Demetrius Davis, um, your guess is about as good as mine. I thought we would see him in the Birmingham Bowl, but we didn't. Um, And I think that was kind of an indication more so just how the game was going. And while TJ Finley didn't have a great game, he also didn't lose Auburn that game by any means. They just kind of kept rolling with him. Um, But it's going to be... I mean, I think it's going to be a completely open quarterback competition come spring practice. I think Auburn will have its quarterbacks, quarterback or quarterbacks that they go out and get to the transfer portal in the next week or two, maybe three weeks here, and then they're going to get ready for spring practice. And, I mean, it's going to be open for everybody, even Holden Gurner, I think, will have a chance to compete for that starting job.
1: Despite some of the exits, my last question to you here about football is, despite some of the exits – there has been some negativity in the fan base since the Birmingham Bowl. You know it. You were on the show last week. In regards to that negativity, respond with why there are reasons for optimism for Auburn in 2022.
2: Yes, yeah, so I think the first one and we just talked about it a little bit there was just we knew it was going to take time. We said it when Brian Harson first got hired that it was going to take time. And everybody knew that and everybody acknowledged that. And then Auburn started off the season pretty good with only losses to Penn State on the road and then Georgia. And All of a sudden we were talking about how Auburn controls its own destiny. And then from that point on, Auburn lost five straight. So obviously it was kind of a disastrous end of the season, but the hopes got, people got their hopes up too high and they failed to remember that we knew it was going to take time because it takes time to build a culture and it takes time to build a program the way that a coach wants it. So I think for one thing, it's just going to take time. For the second thing, this defense next year is going to be, I think it'll be better than it was this year for a couple of reasons. Um, the talent that they're getting is insane. I know they're losing Jacoby Kobe McClain. Roger McCurry Smoke Monday. I know they're losing those guys. If they go out and get a transfer portal linebacker, they'll be perfectly fine. I think they're already fine in the secondary, but um, if you were to get DJ James, that would be a big win. Um, and then it, this team as a whole, the defensive unit, I should say, We'll have more time to learn Derek Mason's schemes. And I think we even saw Derek Mason grow throughout this year as well. He started pressuring a lot more during the second half of the season. Um, not even the second half, but just those last couple games. So I think the defense will be will just be absolutely insane next year. Um, and then the main thing is we don't know what the offense like you can panic now, yeah, but we don't we don't know what the offensive roster is gonna look like next year. There's going to be a couple guys added to the offensive line room. There's going to be a couple guys added to the wide receiver room. There's going to be at least one guy added to the quarterback room. Uh, so we don't know what the offense looks like next year. I don't think it's fair to judge them now for where the offense stands. The the room is going to be totally different just one month from now, and we'll just kind of have to wait and see. And then you might be able to panic a little bit. you know, If Auburn can't really get some big names out of the portal, then you might be able to panic. But I don't think it's worth panicking quite yet.
1: Last question to you before we let you get out of here. I really quick want to touch on something that will bring joy to Auburn fans. Auburn basketball <laughs> recruiting is popping off.
2: Yeah, it is. No, um, uh, the, the 2022 class, they did a great job there. Uh, and they're still in the mix for, um, the number four player in the class, Johan Treor, um, out of Arizona and Auburn's trying to get that last visit that he has available there. So keep an eye on him there. And then the 2023 class is absolutely loaded with talent, um, uh, And Auburn's season and what they're doing now with guys like Katie Johnson, guys like Jabari Smith, guys like Walker Kessler, how they're improving and how they're showing so much is bringing a spotlight nationally. And these recruits are seeing it; they're seeing Auburn as a big basketball brand. Um, And Auburn is involved with a ton of guys in the 2023 class. Isaiah Collier, out of the Atlanta area, point guard. Um, Look out for him. There's a couple of there's a center and a power forward. Bayfall, and then his teammate out of the Colorado area, Auburn's involved there. Uh, and then the big one that I continue to monitor, uh, I I don't know how much of a chance Auburn has here, but I know they're at least fighting Dewan Wagner Jr., that number one player in the class. Uh, Auburn is doing its best to try and get in the mix there. His grandfather coached at Auburn under Tony Barbie, which while some Auburn fans shudder, to hear that, um, it's actually been a pretty big positive so far for the staff, and they found that the familiarity that he has with the area and with the school has been good. Um, and he's from the New Jersey area. Ira Bowman specializes in that area area in recruiting. So Auburn's fighting there to try and get involved. So we'll just kind of have to wait and see there. But Auburn basketball recruiting is definitely not an issue. I don't think you will ever have to worry about under Bruce Pearl and this staff.
1: Christian, we appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Tell everybody where they can find all this great content.
2: Yes, you can find it over at auburnsports.com and then along with on Twitter at Cclemente underscore.
1: My man, I hope you have a good rest of your afternoon.
2: Thank you. You as well, Noah.
1: Ramping up, hour number one of On the Line. Noah Gardner with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Big thank you there to Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com for joining us in that previous segment. Just a couple of minutes left here in our number one. A reminder to everybody, today's show is pre-recorded. as I'm headed to Elmore, Alabama to see Lee Scott basketball take on the Edgewood Wildcats. I'll be on the call for that game tonight alongside Gavin Rankin. Stay tuned for that on AU100, one of our sister stations here at Auburn Networks. You'll be able to find that broadcast once again on 100.3 FM here locally in Auburn, Opelika or online on au100fm.com or you can watch the broadcast on the Lee Scott Sports Network Facebook page. Approximate broadcast start time is at 5.50 p.m. depending on when the JV games end. Before we get out of here for hour number one, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. all right everybody new episodes of fbi fbi international and fbi most wanted air on cbs starting at 7 p.m steve harvey's humor is headed to the courtroom with the all-new show judge steve harvey tonight at 7 p.m on abc the final chapter of this is us begins tonight at 8 p.m on nbc in live sports we have one bowl game on television tonight with the tax act texas bowl between lsu and kansas state at 8 p.m on espn College basketball, buckle up. At 5.30 on SEC Network, number nine, Auburn heads to hostile Columbia to face the South Carolina Gamecocks. Moving to 6 p.m., Oklahoma is at number one, Baylor, on ESPN2. and number 16, Kentucky is at number 21, LSU, on ESPN. Texas A&M and Georgia will square off on ESPNU. Vanderbilt is at Arkansas at 7.30 on SEC Network. Moving to 8 p.m., Georgia Tech is at number two, Duke, on ACC Network. and number six, Kansas is at Oklahoma State on ESPN2. And that's what's on TV tonight. It's been a fun hour, number one. If you've missed any of it, go and find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. We talked a lot about bowl season up to this point, as well as we had Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com with us to give us the latest on the Kobe Hudson situation, as well as recruiting and offensive recruiting, that is, for Auburn football as they need to replenish the roster in some bad way let me tell you and then you also talk about auburn basketball recruiting something that can bring joy to auburn fans they're in the running for the number one player in the 2023 class he gives you some great nuggets on all those things you want to go back and find it once again go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast that's where you can find us on on the line we've got a fun hour number two planned for everybody coming back in just a few moments we'll have making headlines and of course There's a lot of headlines in Auburn sports going into today. So we'll be talking about all those top stories in the Auburn sports world. On the other side of this break, you're listening to On the Line, hour number two on the way.
0: You are on the line. Power number two of On the Line here on ESPN 1067
1: at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Noah Gardner with you. Programming note today's show is pre recorded due to the fact that I am on the way to Edgewood Academy for a Lee Scott Academy basketball game with the Edgewood Wildcats. That game can be heard tonight on AU100, that's 100.3 FM in the Auburn-Opelika area, or online on AU100FM.com, or watch the video broadcast on the Lee Scott Sports Network Facebook page. The approximate broadcast start time tonight at 5.50 p.m., depending on when the JV game's in. So a lot of great stuff coming up tonight. Once again, AU100, 100.3 FM, the home of the Lee Scott Sports Network. It's been a fun show so far today, if you missed any of it. Go and find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. We had Christian Clemente in hour number one of AuburnSports.com. To speak to us about the latest with the Kobe Hudson situation, as well as everything else going on with Auburn football and the transfer portal and Auburn basketball recruiting. A lot of great nuggets there from Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com. Once again, if you missed that conversation, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Coming up here in hour number two, we're going to start off the show in hour number two with making headlines, as well as we'll have Lance Dahl of Auburn Wire, LSU Wire, and Lockdown, Kentucky coming up at around 3.30 p.m. here on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. We'll get his thoughts on everything going on with the Kobe Hudson situation, as well as where Auburn is going from there and how they can possibly replace the production of Kobe Hudson. Also, a big basketball game tonight for Auburn in Columbia, South Carolina. We get his thoughts on Auburn, South Carolina, as well as LSU, Kentucky, which is happening at 6 p.m. tonight on ESPN. A lot of great stuff coming up here in hour number two. We're going to start off hour number two with making headlines, and there are quite a few Auburn storylines going into today and some stuff that we didn't talk a ton about yesterday. And the top storyline going into this afternoon is kobe hudson's departure from the auburn football team yesterday evening around seven o'clock you saw some of the news break via kobe hudson's instagram saying that he will be departing from the team and he had another post that has since been deleted as pointed out by christian clemente of auburnsports.com saying that he was kicked off the team auburn losing their number one receiver this year a natural wide receiver, according to Zach Blackerby of Auburn Wire and Locked On Auburn, friend of the program, 44 receptions, 580 yards, four touchdowns this season. This is a big loss for Auburn, 13.2 yards per reception. He really grew from the start of the season to the end and became Auburn's most productive outlet in the passing game. We saw his hands grow. He fixed his drop issues. I felt like by the end of the year it wasn't as big of a problem as it was through the first couple of games. Kobe Hudson was a key cog for this Auburn passing game moving forward, and one of the reasons why I felt comfortable with a new quarterback coming into the system that maybe you didn't have to go out and get a transfer wide receiver. It was on the wish list. I wanted someone to come in that was going to be a stud because I don't think Kobe Hudson is your typical number one wide receiver pretty much anywhere in the SEC aside from some of the bottom feeders in this league that are also in similar positions with their receiving cores as Auburn was this year. So I would like to see a stud come into the program, but Kobe Hudson welcomed the role and he was consistent for the most part and he helped Auburn in a big way. And I thought, well, maybe next year he even continues to improve and maybe he grows into that number one receiver. It was at least another skill position piece that Auburn had and now they don't. So the reality is wide receiver now turns from want to need. Auburn needs to go out and get a transfer quarterback, maybe two, depending on which transfer quarterbacks they bring in. Competition is going to be a good thing for that room. TJ Finley may still end up winning the job. I don't think he will, but this coaching staff, according to Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com, has not bailed on TJ Finley just yet. Could it be Zach Calzada coming into the room? Do you feel comfortable enough in Zach Calzada entering the Auburn football program that he is enough to help elevate this team beyond where they were at this year? I'm not sure about that. Can you get Caleb Williams, who will come to Auburn through the transfer portal and there most definitely will be a competition from the spring into fall camp? I highly doubt Auburn's going to have their quarterback position figured out until at least several weeks into fall camp leading up to the season opener against, and goodness gracious, whoever Auburn's opening next season with. I can't even remember off the top of my head for the schedule. But Kobe Hudson's departure means that Auburn now needs a wide receiver in addition to that. Of course, there are some other guys that I really like coming back. Tavarius Johnson, I think, oozes with potential, along with Tavares Dawson. I think he's another player that oozes with potential. You saw those guys, especially Dawson, play well in the bowl game. So I think there are Right now, in the cupboard for Auburn at wide receiver, there's some unproven talents in that room. Xavier Capers is still there. Dawson, Johnson, Malcolm Johnson Jr. There's some guys there to work with. There are some pieces, but they are support guys. Nobody that's absolutely going to be able to wreck a secondary. Can you find that in the transfer portal? Is that available out there? Who is going to enter after the spring? This is going to be a development that I don't even know is going to be solved by the time the spring game rolls around. It wasn't for Auburn this past year. Think about when they got Demetrius Robertson. He wasn't even there for the first day of fall camp because he was having to wrap up classes at Georgia. This is going to be something that you're going to have to wait patiently for all the way up until fall camp. And sure, they may get a guy before spring. They may get a guy right after spring. They may get a guy somewhere in that interval between now and fall camp. But the reality is they need someone. And then this is also another area that we've talked about need for Auburn. They need several offensive linemen. You've got Keandre Jones coming back at a guard spot, and I think Killian Zaire is going to start at a guard spot. Those are your two players on the offensive line that I feel confident in saying will start on the Auburn offensive line. There's potential for Jeremiah Wright coming off of his ACL injury as he moves back to the offensive line. There's potential for him to start. There's potential for Nick Brahms to come back and start at center. Depending on what happens with Nick Brahms at center will tell me whether or not Auburn needs two or three more offensive linemen out of the transfer portal. And right now I would say Auburn needs three guys in the transfer portal. Will they be able to find three that they're comfortable with that can start in the SEC? Or is someone young that we haven't seen yet, could it be a Jalil Irvin that played in the bowl game and we have seen, but we've seen very little of him, who that we haven't seen a whole lot of, will end up starting the offensive line next year, and are they ready? I do think that this coaching staff has a plan. I do think that this coaching staff will go out and find offensive linemen to help complete this roster. The question is, how many and at what positions? And also, who's returning? Will Nick Brahms be back? I don't expect Brandon Council to be back. Brodeers-Ham has already announced that he's on his way. The real question here is about Nick Brahms. Will he be back to play the center position And right now, I would say Auburn needs to go after three offensive linemen to help fill this offensive line out, also fill it out for the future. They need to basically remake the entire offense. That's what you should take away from the last couple of minutes that I've been talking. They need a new quarterback, maybe two. They need a wide receiver, and they need several offensive linemen. They're going to have to remake half of this offense, and it pretty much is the most important parts of this offense. Moving on to our second headline and a player that is going to help Auburn do this Auburn high school product 2023 offensive lineman Braden Joyner the number one center in the 2023 class committed to Auburn back on New Year's and we didn't talk about this a whole lot yesterday with Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports with us on the show but the six foot one 330 pound interior offensive lineman is top 253 nationally, according to 24-7 Sports Composite, and the number 16 player in the state of Alabama. This is a good get for Auburn in the 2023 class. He's the first commitment for Auburn. It's got him up to number 33 nationally, number 11 in the SEC. So just the beginning of next year's recruiting class, but this is a good sign. Auburn was able to go and get a local product. That's point number A, or letter A, excuse me. Letter B. They went out and got a highly sought-after player, in the state of Alabama. This guy had offers from Georgia, Arkansas, other SEC teams that Auburn was able to beat out. They beat out Penn State. His top three was Auburn, Penn State, and Georgia. That's a good sign. Auburn won a key recruiting battle for somebody that Georgia wanted. Auburn got this guy. So those are two good points for Auburn that they were able to win a local battle and get a good product. And then let her see, this is an offensive lineman that is going to start, barring injuries or some type of disaster Whatever it may be, this is a guy who has the talent to start for an SEC team at a position that I don't think Auburn's recruited very well in the past. The center position has not been a strength for Auburn the last five years. Caleb Kim and Nick Brahms. Now, I think Nick Brahms is serviceable. I think he's a smart center. The areas in which he lacks is the actual execution and physicality standpoint of playing on the offensive line, but I think he's a smart center and the veteran presence helps this offensive line gel but you could do better in terms of physicality and playing style and actual ceiling of what you're able to achieve and that's not a knock against Nick Brahms I would like to see him return for next year's team because I think he can help bring the offensive line together he can help be the glue in the center to help bring some of the younger players along that are going to have to play but Braden Joyner the number one center you don't get better than that at that position number one center he's going to help this offensive line out tremendously in the interior and help bring this scheme along. This coaching staff really wanted this guy. So this is a good gift for Auburn. And I think people should be excited about the two Auburn high school offensive linemen that Auburn has brought in and EJ Harris and Braden Joyner. Auburn is winning some local battles for players over teams like Alabama and Georgia that Auburn really wanted. And they may have not have been at the top of the target list for Georgia and Alabama, but Auburn really wanted these guys and these players can play at Auburn. And I think they will play at Auburn. Another headline here, Auburn has convinced, despite the exit of Kobe Hudson over the weekend, you saw a slew of players announce that they will be returning to the Auburn football program, that being Owen Papo, Marquise Burks, Derek Hall, Colby Wooden, John Samuel Shaker, just to name a few. Forgive me if I'm forgetting anybody off the top of my head. But for all the talk about guys leaving, there is still a heavy presence of players returning, which tells me that all the negativity since the Birmingham Bowl, or really over the last five games of the season, of people trying to make points that the culture's bad or that this experiment has failed. I think that it's a great sign that these veterans who had other options, they could have gone and done other things, could have moved on into their life, they've graduated, could have gone to the NFL, they had other things that they could have done, could have transferred, they had other things that they could have done, they opted to return tells me and there's been plenty of evidence throughout the season of this being a team that was locked in to Brian Harson's culture change and what he's trying to build here at Auburn you talk about what Chandler Wooten's comments were after the bowl game and how he talked so highly of Brian Harson sure a couple of guys have left and that's going to happen when you have a new head coach come to a university with his ideas that are different and vastly different i think than the previous regime you are going to have guys that just, it doesn't work out. And unfortunately, Kobe Hudson was one of those guys. Bo Nix was another one of those guys. Those are two big casualties for the Auburn football program going into 2022. But this is not 2015. This is not 2016. The transfer portal is at play without guys having to sit out. The college football version of free agency can help you replenish your roster. So this is not time to panic. You could panic right now if you wanted to, but the reality is this coaching staff has proven that they can recruit, and I would give them a chance to go and replenish the roster because you don't think that they know that they need to go out and get replacements for these guys. They know that. They know that better than you do. So I wouldn't panic just yet. I would panic if fall camp rolls around and this is the offense that you trot out. If Auburn whiffs on a ton of different players and they don't really get good replacements in the transfer portal, then I would panic because this offense, I think, could really hurt Auburn in terms of being able to get to a bowl game next year as it stands right now. But I don't expect this to be the roster going into next football season. I expect this coaching staff to be able to go and get great additions in the transfer portal. Auburn is a place that players want to play. They do. Just look at this past year's recruiting class. Auburn came out of nowhere. This is a place that guys want to play. You just have to go out there and find them, and you got to get one of those big-time stars to take a chance. And who knows? Maybe Auburn will be able to get a star to take a chance on Brian Horson and what he's building. It seems like he's got more people bought in than people hopping off of the train right now. That's my takeaway at this point. Sure, there have been a couple of big casualties, but you've also had a couple of big wins. Take Bigsby coming back. It seems like more guys are bought in than the guys that are saying peace. So that's my takeaway at this point. Another headline, we're going to stay at the SEC, but we are going to bounce to an SEC West rival. Ole Miss running back Jerry and Ealy announced his decision to head to the NFL draft. I think this is a good move for Jerry and Ealy, and I think he could have quite a long NFL career, barring, once again, disaster with injuries and whatnot. Jerry and Ely is a Swiss Army Knife running back. I see third down running back in the NFL. I see shades of Duke Johnson, who has had a longer career than people expected him to when he went to the NFL. Jerry Neely could do a lot of different things well in addition to just run the football. He can catch passes. He can play in space. You can scheme different things for him. He's a Sonny Michelle type running back. Darren Sprawls. Of course, those guys were smaller than Jerry Neely. And I think Jerry Ealy offers more in terms of running the football than some of these players. He might be higher up on the depth chart than Duke Johnson has been in his career than Darren Sproles was. I'm not saying Jaron Ely also will have the types of careers that these guys had because Darren Sproles obviously is a big name in terms of your Swiss army knife all-purpose back. But there's a lot of different things that Jaron Ely does well. All-purpose running back can return kicks, punt, or kickoffs, can do damage in those two areas, can catch the football, can run the football. Teams are going to love that. And you may not be at the top of the depth chart because you may not be an every down beast at running the football because I don't think he is. But that also, in a way, also helps elongate your career because you're not taking as many touches. You see guys like DeAndre Swift and Sony Michelle, another player such as that, Danny Woodhead, stay in the league for a long time. And part of that is they don't get hurt and they're able to have less carries and less mileage on them. Because they are a little bit further down on the depth chart. And they may bounce from team to team, but teams like them. Adds depth to the running back room. And it gets you more money and more contracts down the line. The more things that a running back can do, the better they are for staying in the league longer term. And Jerry Neely is a guy that I think we could be seeing on Sundays for a very long time. He's very highly graded on pro football focus. This is a player that a lot of analytics-based teams, they are going to love. Because once again, what he adds outside of just running the football. We're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, we're going to talk about New Year's resolutions for Auburn football in 2022. You're listening to On the Line on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Programming note, today's show is pre-recorded, So the phone lines are closed Stay tuned for The Drive with Bill Cameron live from 4 to 6 p.m. They'll be taking your calls, and we'll be back with you tomorrow live from 2 to 4 p.m. taking your calls as well. So we want to hear from you. We want to talk to you, and we look forward to talking to you tomorrow and later on this afternoon. Just did making headlines, talking about some of the latest storylines going on in Auburn football as well as some of the other ones going around the SEC. Of course, it has been a dramatic start to the year 2022. Losing Kobe Hudson was a dramatic start to the new year but you've also had some key players at the turn of the year announce that they're going to come back so there has been some good signs and then there was obviously the casualty last night losing a guy like kobe hudson and then as well back in 2021 losing bo Nicks at the end of the year but there has been some good and there's been some bad and of course i'm someone who has an optimistic tone about auburn moving forward into this next year i don't think things are as dire as some folks are going to point out And that's where I get into my New Year's resolutions for Auburn football in 2022, the segment, because I also recognize I'm not sunshine pumping here. There are things that need to improve going into this year. I just think a lot of these things will improve. So let's get into it. New Year's resolutions for Auburn football in 2022. I'm going to start off with one that I think a lot of Auburn fans are going to agree with. And I say this respectfully because I'm not a coach, but there are some things that happened with in-game situations this year that I didn't quite agree with the decision-making from the Auburn coaching staff. Respectfully, I think there can be better in-game decision-making next season. And I think this coaching staff is learning that some of the things that might have flu in the Mountain West or in other group of five conferences, they just don't fly the SEC. Any one crucial decision that you get wrong could lose you a football game and there were a couple that I didn't quite agree with this year, and I'm going to go through some of these examples. All the reverses and flea flickers, I'm getting sick when I watch other teams do them too because I've just seen them too much this year. At times, I felt like Auburn got a little too cute at moments where it wasn't warranted. Fourth and one in the South Carolina game, Auburn kills all momentum with a bomb thrown on fourth down and one with your backup quarterback making his first start on the road at night against a team that wants to get to bowl eligibility and on fourth down and one with your all sec caliber running back heisman dark horse caliber running back honestly and tank bigsby you don't run the football also the fact that your quarterback is six foot seven and he could fall four to get the first down that's another thing you could have just quarterback sneaked it but you elected to throw a bomb downfield where obviously, and we know this now, and I'm sure the coaches knew at that time, the deep ball is not T.J. Finley's strength. Another quarterback might have been able to make that throw, but I just don't think you make that throw on fourth down and one. Maybe you make that throw on second down and one or third down and one. Not saying that Auburn had those opportunities on that drive specifically, but on fourth down and one, you don't make that call. A little bit too cute. As well as the reverses and the flea flickers. You talk about the reverse in the Penn State game. If that works, that's a huge momentum play. And if somebody wants to make the argument that that was the time to do it, I still disagree with you, but if it worked, you're right. It would have been a huge momentum shifting play. If Kobe Hudson hadn't fumbled it off of his knee, there was massive grass to run into and potentially a touchdown. Obviously, the pass play didn't work, so it didn't fool Penn State on that regard, and they blew it up. And it killed all momentum for Auburn going into the second half. Penn State went down and scored. Now, all of a sudden, Auburn's playing from behind from two scores. Not the time. Texas A&M game, you haven't really been able to get anything going on on offense. So, eh, let's try Flea Flicker. Fumbles it. And then Bo fumbles it on the next play. Back-to-back fumbles from the quarterback position. And Texas A&M blew the game wide open, and that was it. Whereas Auburn still could have technically... Won that ball game at that moment, but after the fumble, it was over. Auburn got too cute at times this year. I don't want to see that anymore. Fade routes didn't make a whole lot of sense this year for me. There weren't any receivers in the room that I felt like were capable of consistently making those plays. You didn't have a Seth Williams on the roster, so I didn't understand some of the goal-to-go situations for Auburn. Let's run the football with our all-SEC caliber running back. The Penn State game, the fade route, might as well have lost Auburn the game. As you can see, there was a theme at times in crucial moments this year where some head-scratching decisions were made, some questionable decisions, decisions that you could debate. That maybe if they made a different decision, things unravel differently. Maybe they don't. Maybe they don't. But the reality is, I think Auburn could have better in-game decision-making going into 2022. You've heard me talk a little bit about Tank already, so that's where I'm going with my next New Year's resolution. Let's get Tank involved in the passing game more than just safety valve receptions for this quarterback room. If the offense is obviously headed toward throwing the football more, get him touches by scheming him open out of the backfield. Tank is still your best player on the offense. The year is 2022. I saw Georgia against Michigan in the college football playoff semifinal at the Orange Bowl. I saw Georgia line James Cook at the X receiver position, run a go route and catch it for 53 yards over his shoulder. Now, Tank may not have that skill set in his arsenal. That was a great catch. Great throw. Great catch. Great execution. Tank may not be able to do that. That may not be his strength, but I can tell you this because we've seen it already and we saw it in the bowl game because he was the leading receiver in the bowl game for five catches for 68 yards, was averaging over 13 yards per reception. I can tell you this right now. Tank is capable of catching the ball out of the backfield and doing things with it in space. And by doing things with it, I mean doing great things with it. You can really help elevate this Auburn offense if you get Tank Bigsby more involved in the passing game. And I don't just mean screens. And I don't mean check downs and I don't mean swing routes. The year is 2022. And for a coaching staff that has so much respect for the NFL game and NFL schemes, and that's their flavor on offense, I'm blown away that this is not an element in the Auburn offense more than Tank getting 21 receptions this year. If we're only going to give this guy 16 to 17 rushing touches per game, let's get this guy seven receptions per game because he needs to be getting 24 or 25 touches per game tank is the best player not just on the offense but the whole football team and he can help you win games if you get him the football in creative ways it's time for Auburn to scheme this guy open and to get him the football in open space at the end of the day that is the key to successful offense get the ball to your best players in space and let them do something with it And Auburn didn't do that enough with Tank this year. There's a reason why they almost lost him, or at least that was the vibe for a couple of days. Right now it seems like he's in, but you don't want to lose a guy like this. And he's trying to make it to the NFL. Do something for this player to elevate his draft stock and make it to the NFL. He's one of the best players we have seen go through the doors at Auburn in recent memory. This guy could be your it factor that helps take you from a 6-7 win team like Kenneth Walker did for Michigan State this year, to being able to win nine games, maybe more than that, if you can get the right pieces around him and you use him correctly. And that's where I come to my last New Year's resolution for armored football, or my last two, I should say. A, talent acquisition is a must for this offense. They need another receiver. Now that Kobe Hudson is leaving the program, they need two or three offensive linemen, and they need a quarterback that is better than T.J. Finley or that a quarterback play to be better than what T.J. Finley offered you of the last three games of the season. You need more. Talent acquisition is key. Two of the top eight commits for Auburn in this year's recruiting class, albeit it was a great recruiting class compared to what we thought the expectations were for this coaching staff to recruit. Two of the top eight commits were offensive players, one of which was seventh of the eighth commitments in terms of the rankings. And Gurner was in the middle of the pack. Auburn did not recruit offense, I don't think, very well, at least in terms of getting a stud or somebody that is going to make a major difference early on for this offense as soon as next year or maybe even two years from now. Damari Austin, I think, is going to get some touches, but with Tank out there and Jarquez, I don't think we see a whole lot of Damari Austin next year. Down the line two, three years from now, Two years from now, after Tank leaves this year, Damari Austin's going to play a major role. I see some Tank in him. Will it be as good as Tank? That's a high bar to clear. Depending on what Auburn does on the transfer portal with quarterback, I don't see Holden Gurner starting for a couple of seasons. And then you go way down on the recruiting rankings. Of course, there was some depth at wide receiver. Maybe some of those three stars turned into four stars or five stars in terms of development. But there just wasn't anybody that just totally jumped off the page in offensive recruiting. Auburn's got to change that in the transfer portal, or else this offense is going to be a problem next year, and not in the good way. It's going to be in the bad way, the type of problem that it is a problem for you, and it could prevent Auburn from getting to a bowl game next year if they do not revamp the offense. I don't know if there is enough talent on this offense at this point to get Auburn past where they were this year, which was hobbling in the bowl season. It is a game of finite margins in the SEC, and you need more talent than what is on your roster. And then my last New Year's resolution, and this one's a small one, but mainly because I don't know if there's a whole lot Auburn can do about it. Build goodwill within the fan base. There's some negativity. There's some division. People with a lot of different ideas. Some folks are optimistic. Some folks are really negative and pessimistic about the future. They think the experiment has failed since moving on from Gus Malzahn. And I think it's too early to say the gamble of firing Gus Malzahn is a failure. I still think this can work out wonderfully for Auburn. It can take you to exactly where you want it to be, the promised land, winning 9, 10 games every year, and then every so often making it to the playoff. And if they expand this thing to 12, making it to the playoff on a regular basis. I think Auburn can definitely get there with Brian Harson. but some goodwill has to be built within the fan base over the next year. And the thing is, you look at Bruce Pearl, he did it without winning. Unfortunately, I don't think Brian Hartson's that good of a salesman, and it does not appear to be his strength to build goodwill publicly like Bruce Pearl did. It does not seem to be his strength. What you see is what you get, and his whole mantra has been win and everything else will follow. So you know what that means? you got to win. In order to build some goodwill within this fan base, to help elongate and buy yourself some time and patience from this fan base, you've got to win. you got to win now you got to win next season. You've got to improve. You've got to show something to folks out there that this thing is headed in the right direction. The time to win is now. And I'm not saying win a national championship. I'm not saying make it to the SEC championship. I'm saying win nine, ten games next year. Ten's a stretch. I'll say nine games next year. You've got to show legit improvement inside the program. you got to knock off a Texas A&M. you got to beat LSU again next year got to beat Arkansas. You got to beat Ole Miss. You got to win those four SEC games. You've got to. That's a step forward. And then you got to still compete with Georgia and Alabama. You get to play Missouri. That could be a fifth SEC win next year. You could go from three and five at the SEC this year to five and three next season. Regardless, though, things need to improve for this coaching staff to get goodwill from the fan base. And that'll help cool his seat off going into SEC Media Days 2023. Those are my New Year's resolutions for Auburn football in 2022. When we come back, we speak with Lance Dahl of Auburn Wire, LSU Wire, and Locked On Kentucky here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. Back on On the Line, just a couple of segments left in the Tuesday edition of the show, and we welcome back a special guest, Lance Dahl, formerly here with us on the line but also with Auburn Wire, LSU Wire, locked on Kentucky. Lance, how you doing today, my man?
3: Oh, it's great to be back on, man. How are you doing?
1: Doing really well. And, of course, we bring you back, and there's no shortage of drama with the new year in the Auburn sports world, as well as in the other two outlets that you write for for their specific teams, whether it be LSU or Kentucky. So we'll get to those teams a little bit later on as well. But I want to start with Auburn and the news about Kobe Hudson. We spoke with Christian Clemente earlier in the show about this. What do you have to share about this situation, and what does this mean for Auburn?
3: Well, it's definitely disappointing, right, especially from a production standpoint, to lose a guy like Kobe Hudson to the transfer portal. It was kind of out of the blue, and whenever you look into Kobe Hudson's Instagram post, if you choose to do so, Maybe there was some miscommunication, maybe some bad blood between him and the coaching staff. I didn't read too much into it, but to be honest with you, Noah, overall, it's just a really bad loss, again, in terms of production. So I think the question is for Auburn now, you have to hit the transfer portal. There's no question about that, but the question is now, where do you look first, right? You could potentially look at offensive line. You could potentially look at quarterback. You could now... Uh, have to look at receiver 100%. That was a question I think you and I were talking about just a couple weeks ago. It's potentially like looking into getting a new receiver, but now you look at the situation like, well, okay, well you have to get a new receiver, right, because you just lost your lead guy. So it's definitely disappointing to see Kobe Hudson lead. I wish him the best of luck wherever he goes. I think he's a very talented player, obviously caught a lot of balls. Uh, for Auburn was very clutch in some key moments this season, and then also caught a touchdown pass in the Iron Bowl, which not a lot of Auburn players uh, players can say that they did.
1: Earlier I asked Christian this question as a follow-up. I'm going to do the same to you, but what is the potential fallout of this? Are you concerned, actually, of a potential fallout from this? Because Brian Harsin's not messing around. He let go Cordelius Williams, Mike Bobo. Other players have transferred, such as Bo Nix, Dre Butler, now Kobe Hudson. He's not playing around. It's his way or the highway. Are you concerned of a potential fallout between him and the locker room? Well,
3: I definitely think that's a great question asked. ask. You know, honestly, this is something that you and I were talking about, Noah, for, you know, throughout the whole offseason is that Brian Harson does not seem like a guy that he's going to bend to anybody else's way, right? It's going to be his way or there's not going to be a way. There's not going to be anything done. So I definitely respect the fact that he wants to come in and he is trying to implement. His game plan, his philosophy, his style, and if the players on the roster disagree with that, if players on the roster aren't committed to necessarily doing the work or putting the time in or whatever it may be, I respect the fact that he's asking them potentially to leave, and he's trying to bring in guys that best fit what he's doing. I'm not saying necessarily that Kobe Hudson was one of those players that did not any, anything necessarily wrong, but I will say I think there is potential for it. I, I don't want to say for certain one way or another. I definitely think there is potential for a fallout, but... I will also say the players that he brings in that have committed to him, you have to think about their mindset in this situation, right? So if these players are flaking, if these players are entering the transfer portal, I'm not saying it's the case for everybody, everybody flaking, but if these players are entering entering the transfer portal because they weren't necessarily committed to the program, just about how committed these kids that he's bringing in are to his philosophy, to his style, to his worth ethic, right? We're seeing it with guys like Damari Alston, who talks and just raves about how awesome Auburn football is on Twitter, on Instagram. He's been on the forefront of a lot of different recruiting things on Twitter, it appears. So I think the guys that Carson's bringing in, if you can continue to get in some recruits and some transfer portal kids, I mean, I'm excited to see how hard they play for him because they are, will definitely be 100% all in with this program.
1: And you can't question this past year's work ethic at all. Auburn, even when the deck was stacked against them over the last three games of the season with their starting quarterback out, they played extremely hard in every single one of those games, South Carolina, Alabama, and the Birmingham Bowl. And then you also talk about, you talk about the new recruiting class of the players coming in. What about the guys that are returning? And a lot of those are players that we didn't know if they were going to come back or not. Colby Wooden, Marquise Burks, Derek Hall, Owen Papo, just to name a few, John Samuel Shanker. Some big names are coming back. That's a sign that this locker room is bought in despite the fact that you've lost a Bo Nix and a Kobe Hudson on
3: offense. 100%. You're talking about guys that are coming back, and you mentioned Jonathan Schenker, who would be a very valuable veteran piece in this side end room. But, I mean, look at the defense. Look at the guys that are coming back. Owen Papo, Derek Hall, Kobe Wooden, Kobe Wooden, like you just mentioned. Those are I mean- veterans. Exactly, these guys are going to be playing their hearts out for the Tigers next season, and they were this year, so I'm really excited to see how the defense looks. We were talking you know about Derek Mason and whether or not he was a legitimate fit or not. Well, he's getting some of these veteran guys back, right They've bought in they've committed to this program, and they're going to stick it out and I respect that, and I absolutely love the fact that these kids are so passionate about this program and There's a lot of different guys coming back, especially on that defensive line that are going to wreak havoc next season. I'm so excited to see that, and I'm so glad that Auburn has been able to to, uh, convince them to return for another year.
1: Well, let's talk transfer portal for a moment because Zach Calzada is a name that has emerged as a potential transfer quarterback for Auburn. It seems like Auburn's interested, and if you'll remember when we did our top five list, I did have Zach Calzada at five. Now, I'll say with some of the guys that have entered the transfer portal since then he would have been pushed out of that top five list especially considering Caleb Williams and Dylan Gabriel both were able to enter the transfer portal yet again I mean who would have thought that Dylan Gabriel would have reneged on his commitment to UCLA and gone to Oklahoma but what is your take on Zach Calzada to Auburn if that does occur
3: well, I'll say this about Gabriel. It was just so funny yesterday seeing like all of a sudden Caleb Williams is gone and just a couple hours later it's Gabriel's just like, Hey guys, I'm actually leaving UCLA. I'm actually not transferring and it's like I don't commit to nothing. But anyway, I think Zach Calzada could be an interesting piece. You know, you talk about scheme fit, you talk about guys that would work well in Brian Harson's offense. I think Zach Calzada could potentially be somebody that could work well in that system. Uh, But at the same time, I mean, you go back and watch the kid's film. He was not necessarily electric or anything crazy as a freshman. His completion percentage wasn't high. Uh, But at the same time, I don't necessarily feel like he was making a ton of mistakes. And we all saw what he did in the Bama game. We all saw the heart that he showed in that matchup. So I definitely think that Calzada, if he does choose to come to Auburn at some point down the line, I don't think Auburn fans could be too disappointed in that that, uh, transfer portal commitment. I think he could be an interesting piece.
1: It's better than what they have on the roster. And if he sure. started this year at Texas A&M, it did what he did. You see growth and development, the biggest growth and development jump from your first year playing to your second year playing. What could next year look like in a different uniform? That's always been my take on the matter. I know there have been several articles written about this topic, but I want to know your specific new year resolutions for Auburn football. For
3: Auburn football, well, I think the first thing you've got to do is you've got to be able to hit the transfer portal and you've got to get a quarterback and an offensive lineman, or at least a couple of offensive linemen, right? You've got to be able to do that. I think that's my number one New Year's resolution. Get players in the transfer portal, specifically quarterback and offensive lineman. That's absolutely at the top of my list. And other New Year's resolutions, I think we definitely could look. At how that quarterback room looks right now, right? Looking at the spring, how do guys factor in in terms of reps? How do guys? How, how does Auburn rotate that quarterback position during spring practice? I think getting a pecking order uh, down will definitely be a New Year's resolution. Uh, and then I think also, you know, just continuing to hammer away on the defensive side of the football with Derek Mason, installing scheme, right? Installing scheme on the offensive side as well. So I think to to kind of recap at the transfer portal find a pecking order at quarterback, and then I think continuing to install your game plan, your philosophy on both sides of the football.
1: Speaking with Lance Dahl of Auburn Wire, LSU Wire, and Locked On, Kentucky, let's go to the hardwood now. Auburn basketball headed to hostile Columbia, South Carolina to play the Gamecocks, and this has been a tricky environment. For Auburn over the years and Bruce Pearl mentioned that yesterday your takes on Auburn headed to Columbia in terms of what type of challenge this poses for Auburn
3: like you just mentioned Columbia has been a very tough place for Auburn to win over the past few seasons, Auburn's 1-3 in their last four matchups against South Carolina. It's definitely going to be a tough out. The Gamecocks, so far this season, 9-3, and three, picked up a couple of wins. That actually surprised me. Got a win over Florida State earlier on in the season. But this is something that you and I talked about, Noah, whenever we were doing our power rankings. We asked the question, did this Gamecocks team peak too early? Offensively, I still think they're somewhat inept. Can they run with Auburn, especially given the fact that they gave up over 100 uh, the last time? Auburn and South Carolina faced off. So I definitely think this is a kind of a prove-it matchup for Auburn. It's very, very difficult to win in the SEC, especially on the road, and I do not want to discount what Frank Martin and the Gamecocks have accomplished so far this season. Again, 9-3, and three. very impressive to get out of the non-conference slate uh, with nine wins, but at the same time, I kind of feel like in this matchup, athleticism and talent is eventually going to win out. and I believe that's why the line is set at ten and a half. I think this will be scrappy. I think it will be competitive. You look at the way that South Carolina likes to play basketball, they're very physical on the defensive end. I think it might be similar to what we saw against LSU uh, whenever Auburn played them last week. But I think Auburn's athleticism and their ability to run the floor, much like last season, will be the uh, determining factor in this game
1: we love this Auburn basketball team, but we have criticized certain elements of their play, namely shot selection and their consistency at scoring the basketball. We saw that in the LSU game to a degree, but it it may be not to the point of Will Wade's press conference, but I kind of got similar vibes to Will Wade's press conference when he was talking about Auburn a couple of weeks ago. I kind of got similar vibes to that When we heard Bruce Pearl talk yesterday with media availability in terms of this South Carolina team, if you play like you did at certain intervals offensively in the LSU game, they're not going to let you run your offense. This team defends the rim incredibly well. They're 17th in blocks per game in the nation. They hold opponents to below... 50% inside the arc, below 33% from beyond the arc. They defend very well. They're a top 50 team in Kim Palm's defensive efficiency ratings. I have been critical of Auburn's shot selection, rightfully so. We've seen that several times this year, especially away from home. I kind of get the vibes that there are teams in the SEC, maybe not South Carolina being able to beat Auburn, but there are other teams in the SEC that could be hanging from the rafters, if you will, against Auburn if they play these types of teams in an ugly manner, this is a challenge for Auburn in my mind. Absolutely,
3: yeah. And like I mentioned earlier, it's very difficult to win in the SEC, much less on the road. And when you play a team like Saskia, like you and I were just saying, defensively very, very strong, it could potentially be an issue for Auburn. And like you mentioned, you were exactly right, it comes back to shot selection and consistency. And Auburn, who is now a top-ten team, Prove on the road that they are a top-10 team by doing those little things, right? Taking better shot selections, getting to the rim, making decisive decisions at the rim, right? Making smart decisions at the rim so, uh, so that, that, that they uh, don't get blocked as often as South Carolina has blocked opponents this season. But it's just all about shot selection and then consistency, Not letting your opponent go on runs. Not stalling out yourself because that was an issue on the road against St. Louis, right? And when Auburn was able to come back into that game and eventually win it, but a lot of shots had to fall. A lot of shots had to fall. That pick-and-roll consistency with Walker Kessler had to uh, come ablaze, right? So you've got to be able to find some consistency on the road tonight. going to be tough for Bruce Pearl, like you mentioned. does not feel great about this matchup, but we'll just have to see what happens.
1: Auburn, a top-10 team. Finally, they leap over Michigan State in the rankings. You get the vibe, though, as and I'm being nitpicky a little bit because you have to. This is how you separate yourself from a team that is great and teams that can legitimately win national champions. That's what I'm talking about with the shot selection. This team feels like they could win a national championship after what we saw this past week against LSU.
3: Well, I definitely think when you look at the roster from top to bottom, I mean, this is a complete team. When you look at what LSU did against Auburn, right? They play an eight-man rotation. And whenever you think about eight-man rotations or 10-man rotations or something like that, you probably assume out of an eight-man rotation that six or seven of them are playing heavy, meaning their minutes are being utilized to the fullest extent. They're getting the basketball, they're shooting, their focal points of the offense and the defense, those minutes are valuable. but But honestly, compared to Auburn, what LSU did not have was depth, right? And Auburn plays 11 guys. They put, they have an 11-man rotation, and they probably play eight heavy and then a couple of players light. And so Auburn's depth, I think, is definitely going to be a factor if they do make a national championship run. It's just, like you said, Noah, you're exactly right, consistency with these players. Can they continue to knock down shots? Can they continue to play consistently on the defensive end? Can Walker Kessler sustain over four blocks a game? I definitely think that all those things are possible. I think the talent is definitely there. And when you look at the way the front court's playing right now, I mean, Auburn feels like they could just about beat anybody. Um, but, yeah, I definitely think that there are some things that Auburn needs to prove over these next few SEC games to kind of assert themselves as one of those national championship contenders. But you look at the pieces, you look at the depth, you look at the rotation, I think all of the uh, things are in place for Auburn to make a legitimate run.
1: Last question to you before we let you get out of here. Of course, two of your worlds collide tonight when LSU and Kentucky play. That's a 16th-ranked Kentucky team playing an LSU team that ain't beat nobody, Paul. They're coming in at 21. (laughs) They finally got their first taste of a great team, and their eyes were wide open, and the basket lid was shut. This is another Kentucky team that, from a defensive standpoint and the great Oscar Shibwe, they can put a lid on the basket. They can also shoot you out of a gym.
3: Absolutely, and I, I forget the name of the caller that called in before the Auburn-LSU game, but he said he said exactly what you just said, is that LSU's eyes would be wide It was Brett. Open. It was Brett, yeah, exactly. They, uh, LSU uh, was going to be awake during that Auburn matchup, and we saw them get down early, and then we saw them get down late. LSU definitely going to have to make some adjustments coming back home, playing a uh, Kentucky team that's averaging almost 84 points a game. Uh, Like you mentioned, Oscar Chibwe, definitely a huge part of that. My concern for uh, Kentucky in this game is how do the Wildcats play in transition? Because the way that LSU likes to set up the press, obviously Will Wade, a shocker, smart disciple, likes to play that Havoc style of press. Can Kentucky consistently beat that and then make shots in transition? I think this could potentially try and be a fast-paced game, but very similar to the Auburn matchup. I think a lot of fouls, and you mentioned Oscar Chibwe, how powerful he can be on both ends of the court. If he is in foul trouble, he may be in serious, uh, serious uh, danger uh, in this matchup tonight in Baton Rouge. But I definitely think it's going to be a fun competition. If these teams can get in rhythm without balance, I think it's definitely much must-watch television.
1: Lance, I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Tell everybody where they can find all the great stuff that you got going on.
3: Really appreciate it, Noah. You can follow me on Twitter at Daw Pound. You can follow Locked On Kentucky on Twitter at Locked on UK, and then you can read my stuff at AuburnWire.usaToday.com and LSUWire.usaToday.com.
1: Lance, I hope you have a good rest of your day, my man. I really appreciate it.
3: Appreciate it, Noah.
1: Wrapping up the Tuesday edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Following me, we've got The Drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck from 4 to 6 p.m. taking your calls here on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Before we get out of here for the Tuesday edition of the show, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. All right, here we go. New episodes of FBI, FBI International, and FBI Most Wanted air on CBS starting at 7 p.m. Steve Harvey's humor is headed to the courtroom with the all-new show Judge Steve Harvey tonight at 7 p.m. on ABC. The final chapter of This Is Us begins tonight at 8 p.m. on NBC. Live sports, we have one bowl game on TV tonight with the Tax Act Texas Bowl between LSU and Kansas State at 8 p.m. on ESPN. College basketball, buckle up. At 5.30 on SEC Network, number nine Auburn heads to Hostile Columbia to face the South Carolina Gamecocks. Moving to 6 p.m., Oklahoma is at number one Baylor on ESPN2, and number 16 Kentucky is at number 21 LSU on ESPN. Texas A&M and Georgia will square off on ESPNU. Vanderbilt is at Arkansas at 7.30 on SEC Network. And moving to the 8 p.m. time slot, Georgia Tech is at number two Duke on ACC Network, and number six Kansas is at Oklahoma State on ESPN2. And that is what's on TV tonight. Just time for our final segment of the show. We've got about a minute left, and I'm going to end every show from here on like this. Our final take. My final take for today's edition of On the Line is Auburn basketball-related. Auburn headed to Columbia, South Carolina. I spoke about this a little bit in hour number one. South Carolina is a good defensive team. And tonight... For Auburn basketball it's not about just winning on the road for me it's about seeing how this team wins I go back to the press conference that Will Wade had several weeks ago talking about Auburn and how folks will be hanging from the rafters if they don't play the game the right way the true statement about that matter is the same can be said about Auburn basketball this team's very good this team can win a national championship but the finite margins between Auburn just being a top 10 team and being a team that can win a national championship, is how they play the game. Playing against South Carolina, they're good enough defensively to give Auburn fits. They really are. We have seen Auburn take lulls away from home. Does Auburn go out there and destroy them and play the game the right way? We'll have to see tonight, but if they do, I think that's really encouraging for when Auburn plays teams that have more talent than South Carolina that also play the game very well defensively teams like Tennessee Mississippi State those teams are better and those teams could beat Auburn if Auburn does not play well away from home tonight it's about how you play are you playing the game the right way not just are you winning it's about margin of victory tonight for me with this Auburn basketball team to see where they're at at this point they don't play great that's not saying that the season's over by any means or that they're not capable of winning a national championship. Improvement can still be made, but this is a little bit of a litmus test for me to know where Auburn is at away from home at the SEC. That's it for another additional of on the Line. We'll be back with you live tomorrow. Thank you to everybody for listening again today, whether it's on the podcast or live. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Same time, same place. You know where to find us.